You're listening to Creators in Saigon, a podcast based in the rapidly modernizing city of Saigon, Vietnam. I'm Dana, and together with my co-hosts, Tuesi and Nico, we interview the most inspiring creative entrepreneurs Saigon has to offer on topics about life, relationships, creativity, business, health, and more. We are all coaches specializing in different areas, but our common goal is to inspire you to reach your full potential in these areas and improve the quality of your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Creators in Saigon. You have Dana here and co-hosting with me today is Tuesi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and today we are interviewing Tuyen or Kelly. Should we call you Kelly or what do you prefer? Uh, yeah, you can call me Kelly. Yes. Okay. So Kelly was born in Saigon. She came from a poor background and she was actually the only member in her family who went to college. She's currently the head of philanthropy services department at the LIN Center, L-I-N Center for Community Development and has a huge passion for social changes and sustainable development in Vietnam. She's also the creator and host of the podcast DRR Community, whose mission is to use storytelling to tell the authentic stories of the doers who are making a difference in the community to inspire and motivate the young people about life purpose, happiness, and social impact. It's really cool because this is like so similar to our mission with creators in Saigon. So I'm really excited to hear the full story that went into this podcast because I wonder if it's similar to mine. We probably have a lot in common. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you for being here. Hello, Dana and Tracy. Very lovely having a chance to say my story on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, absolutely. So let's start with, can you tell us about the struggles you experienced growing up and how you eventually ended up being the first one in your family to go to college? Great question. So I was born here in Saigon um, in District 10. And you, if you've been here a long time, you will know District 10 is very local, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was born and living and growing up in a, in a small alley in District 10. So my, my growing up environment is quite complicated because it's a lot of social issues around me. Like, uh, because my LA is a lot of people, like immigrant people come from different provinces, like provinces in Mekong Delta, Highland, also some from Cambodia even. Mm-hmm. And we're living in together in that area. Um, and um, growing up, I seen a lot of like social issue around me. And I feel that it's just a part of my life. My family, actually, my parents, they didn't go to school. They did, they did know a little bit how to write, how to read, but not really like uh, go, went to education or something. My father was a bus driver. My mom uh, used to sell a lot of stuff uh, at home. So basically, when I was growing up, I had two older brothers and one younger. I was born in 1990. I think that time the Vietnam economy just opened, but it's still very uh, new, right? So a lot of things going on, but we like a lot of things like uh, we still didn't have a lot of like technology. My experience is still very, I remember like, you know, these days it's quite hard to see the kids going outside, playing with uh, their friend in the neighborhood. But I, I was doing that a lot because back then there was no social media 
or no internet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. I would just going out and play any kind of game with my friends. Mm-hmm. That actually is good because it's actually taught you soft skill a lot uh, because you have to deal with people, right? You have to mm-hmm. really think how you can play this game or how to behave in front of the other people. So my other two brother and one younger, they, they couldn't finish school. But I was growing up and I, I, I love learning. I don't know why, but I really, I'm a quick learner. Later on, I realized that because well, even though my situation not really supportive for my study because a lot of things happening and my family financial situation is also not, was not so good. So back then I was worried that I couldn't really go to school because of my family financial situation. So my, even my parents didn't know how to like guide me about education they just say okay I pay you school free go to school and learn <laughs> but you know, they didn't know really how to guide me or like advise me what to do so they just like they throw me into that environment and just I just had to take care of my own about my my education and you know back then small ally there's a lot of gamble a lot of issues and it's quite hard to be focused during that environment, right? You know, mm-hmm. surrounding by that kind of environment, because everybody will ask you to do this and that and play game and, you know, do all kind of fun things instead uh-huh. of studying. Because not everybody really see education is is an important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even back then, I remember I had some like girlfriends, like when I was a kid, they even told me that, oh, you shouldn't study too much because, you know, you just get married to a rich husband and you, have, <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. I would, I, at that time I was feeling like ah, something not right about this <laughs> you know I, 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 I did that I want to take care of my life and uh, do things that I love to do but growing up in that kind of environment is quite uh, difficult luckily you know right later I realized that I'm quite a quick learner so even though I couldn't get enough like support and also even opportunity to learn different kind of things. I to catch up very quickly. One time I shared in another podcast that, you know, my English, for example, 11th grade, I, my English was terrible. I didn't know how to speak anything in English. And then at 12th grade, I, I caught up because of great teacher. And then I, I decided to apply for a English university, a language university, and I got in. So it's, it's, it's quite lucky for me somehow that I'm a quick learner so I got uh, to go to school even though sometimes I feel I felt like uh, maybe my mom my, my parents didn't have money for me to to study and I might have to go out and work like on the street or like became a, a you know to find something else to do for example mm-hmm. but luckily yeah I, I, I managed to go to college and finish it and went out to work That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And so throughout that whole time, it sounds like even though almost like all the odds were stacked against you, like you didn't have enough money, it wasn't clear what your future would be. Everyone else around you was saying, don't worry about studying, just get married (laughs) to a rich Mm -hmm. husband. And there were all these distractions around you, but somehow you Mm -hmm. still maintained kind of this determination to not give up on your dreams. So where do you think that came from within you? I don't know how to like say exactly the reason, but uh, a few things like, for example, 
deep down, I mean, I, I, I felt like I want to do something more than where I came in from. I think I have the potential and, uh, and I can do a lot of amazing things. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, I get because I, back then we also have like television and you know, movie and all kind of drama. I remember there was Hong Kong drama, mm-hmm. very popular in Vietnam back then. I watch a lot of them and I think I saw that on TV, you know, there's a lot of like people that are doing different kind of so interesting things, right, in their life, which so not familiar to my life. But I, I, I it's hard for me to see there's a po- possibility out there. So I think uh, a few reasons and I also love learning new knowledge, learning new things. So I'm always trying to do something that I can learn, that I can improve myself. So I think there's a few factors coming together. And the last one would be, I want to, of course, have a better life than my parents because, you know, uh, it was struggle. And it's hard to be living in the, uh, the struggle family, right? Where mm-hmm. you have to worry whether you have enough food tomorrow. So I want that my life could be different that I don't have to worry about it, right? So maybe uh, in the future, I can find a good job where I can take care of myself, take care of my parents, and I don't have to worry uh, about the food every day. Yeah. And how did others respond? Like, did you openly share how you had all these dreams and you were hopeful about all these possibilities? And were people kind of like, uh, you're crazy, <laughs> like, or or were they very supportive? No, I, I couldn't really share with anybody, even my parents, because the thing is, it's quite hard for them now I think about it to understand, right? Because uh, they're used to that kind of environment. A lot of people, like my childhood friend, they're used to that kind of environment. So it's quite hard for them to really share that kind of thinking. It's not because they don't want their life to be better, but because they don't see it's going to change or not, right? So, and I feel like uh, even some occasion I share, but they didn't really pay attention. Uh, that's why I kept it for myself. I think, okay, I mean, this is my life. I have to uh, focus and also take care of myself because it's quite hard to share this kind of thing with my uh, my friend back then and also with my, my, my family. Yeah. And, and uh, what about your siblings? What were the reasons for them to, to not finish a college? Actually, I think growing up in that kind of environment and also now working for nonprofit, that's helped me a lot to really have a deep understanding about the social issues. Mm-hmm. It's not that just you give them the opportunity and they're going to change. It's not that easy. It, it is have a lot of like factor affect what, your decision, right? Because, you know, when you surround yourself, all your environment is very not supportive or not very friendly. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's quite hard for you to to focus, to pay attention, aware that you are doing something harmful for your future, right? So my brother was like, oh, when you was a kid, you want to have fun. You want to like, okay, enjoy my life. And peer pressure that telling you, you should do this is very cool, right? Hanging out uh, very late and doing like all kind of like uh, fun things uh, without worry about the future and education. Now I look back, I understand it because that's not easy. When I work for nonprofit, I also understand it more. So for my brother, they just, you know, it's quite hard for them. And like I say, my parents didn't know how to guide us. So it's quite hard for them to, to really actually change themselves, like really uh, get out of that, that environment and, 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 and change their life. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they didn't have anyone guiding them either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I I feel like even in COVID, the current situation we're in, I can feel it having an impact on my motivation to do anything and my mental health. So I can see how even if you are given opportunities to do things, if your environment or whatever certain situation you're in, that's not always the only factor that's going to change things. That's really interesting. Exactly. I think it, it, it like can be very um, hard to, to, to predict, right? Because it's not like the same formula for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone comes from different backgrounds and they have different opportunities. But in the end, it's all about different things happen and different factors that affect what they make their, their decision in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you went to university, what did you end up studying? So I applied for the language major, like English major. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then how did you get from English major to eventually head of philanthropy services? Was Is the job you have now the first job that you've had or what was, I guess, your career path? That's going to be a very long story. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, okay, so if you uh, observe and talk to a lot of young Vietnamese here, you will see that, you know, especially people who study in a local university here, it's quite hard for young people like me before to, uh, to really uh, kind of like know what I can do in the future, right? Because there's no quality and uh, established like career coaching counseling at the school level for the student to to identify their, their passion what they want to do in the future so basically most of the student here they were thrown up into the environment okay just figure it out yourself so that that happened to me too so I study English because I love English I want to learn more about English I, I I'm that kind of person who when I love something I want to focus on that and do something about it so I went out and the first job I worked for a real estate company. Um, I did a lot, a little part-time job before too. And then uh, real estate, one month after that, I, I feel like it's not for me. And then I changed to work for a wine company, Australian company, They're based in Vietnam. And it's a good opportunity for me to practice English because even I study my English major, but we need a lot of practice every day to improve English. So that's why I, I went to work there for one year. And at that time, something happened very important to my life. When I met one of the co-founder of an NGO from the U.S., they are providing education support, like library book system in, in Vietnam to a remote area, the school mm-hmm. in remote area in Vietnam. And I was invited to their first trip in Mekong Delta. And that's the first time I experienced like nonprofit volunteer and philanthropy, you know, back then I didn't know anything about nonprofit or philanthropy, but that was the first time that I realized this is something uh, really close to my heart. Like I feel very connected and feel very motivated when I do this kind of thing. So I say, okay, maybe I can do more in the future. But back then, of course, it was still students, so I didn't know much. And also just graduated I didn't know much about what I can do so I continued working for a software company for four years from Europe helping them set up business here doing business development operation development 
And I, 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 I came across the, the job opportunity from Lynn Center when I was still volunteer for an NGO in the U.S. And the job of Lynn Center is very interesting because it's like a bridge between corporation or business sector and nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. So my role at Lynn basically to work with companies and individuals who want to engage with local nonprofit in Vietnam and working on corporate social responsibility or, or community development or philanthropy. So basically, I'm talking to them and understand what they need, what they challenge, what they concern. And I'm trying to figure out or advise them what kind of approach or nonprofit that they should work with. So we have the whole process to do so. That's my role at Lynn. And, and I'm looking back, I think all the experience I got with the NGO from the U.S. and business sector, because I need to also understand what the business sector thinking about, right? Because it's a, like the connection between business and nonprofit. So nonprofit uh, experience is helpful and also um, business sector experience also very helpful for me to do my job right now. So that's how I end up working with Lynn for like three years and a half now. My role is very fascinating to talk to people every day, right? Mm-hmm. So because we've been receiving a lot of interest from company and individual. And so I talk to nonprofit sector to, about their social project, their impact project. That's why I got to meet a lot of amazing people who are trying to do the good thing in Vietnam. Yeah, so that's, that's my job right now at, at, at Lynn Center. Mm-hmm. Very nice. That's so cool how you can kind of look back and see how the experience you had set you up perfectly for what you're doing now, even though yeah. maybe at the time it seems so random or like yes. uncertain, like, I don't know, I'm, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm just going <laughs> to do it and we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's why I, I always advise young people when I met them, because I'm passionate talking to people like from a young generation and they, they want to, to identify the career path and always say to them like, trying to focus on what you can learn instead of, you know, the job. Because for me, whatever job you do always give you some value, some learning experience. Mm-hmm. Focus on that and you never know. When you do it best, you try your best to do that job, it will lead you to something very amazing that you never knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you ever interact directly with the, the people who are receiving the services of the NGOs? Oh, you mean the beneficiary, like direct beneficiary? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do because my job sometimes I have, even though I, I half of my time I work with corporate and individual like donors, but mm-hmm. half of my time I have to also talk to nonprofit and understand their needs, their challenges. And sometimes I have to go to like a side trip to meet the, the communities, to right. listen to their story because I need to also understand the program and the impact so I can communicate it back to the donor. I see. I see. So you're the, the middle person in, the, in, the, in yeah. connecting all those. Okay. That's very interesting. Very yeah. nice. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I always see myself as a connector. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very, very nice. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you were saying before how you've learned through this experience that just because resources are given to people doesn't necessarily mean that it solves all the problems. I was wondering if you could Mm. talk more about that, maybe share some examples. Yeah, I think that's a really great question for me. I think, yes, I mean, for my experience and what I learned when working for nonprofit is, you know, we're only trying to look at the community where 
they have the access, they have the strength, they have the access uh, in, in the community already, like their relationship between each other. So for, for people from outside want to help the community who need help, they need to first talk to the community first and see that person or that community, what they need, what are their strengths, what they can do, because we want them to become like a co-investor of that kind of project, right? Or program. So um, to do so is not just money, but also capacity because sometimes they struggle uh, with the capacity to actually run it for a long time. So that's why the people who want to have, the people who need help, they need to think about, okay, how can I transfer that capacity to uh, these communities? So after I withdraw, they still can continue to develop their life further. You, for example, even my job or, you know, when I, you work in a normal company, if you want to find a new team member or your, your staff, right, you don't want them to just doing things that are small thing every day, admin staff, you want to develop them to become a leader in the future too. And to do so, you need to see what kind of capacity that you can invest on those, uh, on your staff and make sure that you empower them to do things. And then later on, when you withdraw, they can, or they, you, you don't, you no longer work with that company. They still can continue to do their job. My case 30, my, my own case is that, you know, even if back then people give me money, but they didn't give me opportunity to develop my skill set, my capacity, mm-hmm. like learning about the, the society and knowledge. I think it would be very hard to, to, to really, empower or really change somebody's life if we don't invest in their capacity. Right. Absolutely. And I want to ask too, how do you think this experience of hearing the stories of these communities that are receiving benefits from the donors, has that in any way kind of shaped your mindset? Maybe when you look back and think about your childhood is there any sort of I'm trying to think of how to ask this question, but I guess like any insight or lesson you've learned through that experience? So that's what I shared with you earlier that, you know, uh, when you understand where the people coming from, right, their situation, it, it will help you to better help those people. For example, you know, when I work for nonprofit or understand more about what the social sector work in Vietnam and situation here in Vietnam, we will understand that most of the time people do, uh, I think is Vietnam is still new to talk about sustainability long-term because uh, different factor that Vietnamese do think something very, you know, like uh, short-term, like charity-based, something quick, nothing wrong with that. But I think it's because different factors like trust issues and the infrastructure here. So it's quite hard for them to, to think about something long-term and awareness too. So uh, that means, you know, they, when they go and to support a community, they just, okay, what an easier way to do so. So for example, they can donate some rice, donate some noodle, maybe some money to the community, which is good. But thing is, you know, for example, if you, you, you want to help a family who, who want to build their life, right? And you say, okay, I want to donate to you some money to buy a cow so you can increase your livelihood. But mm-hmm. the thing is, what if somebody stole that cow? 
what if somebody did something to that cow what if some disaster happened and the cow died what next right so it's it, it's really helped me to understand deeper the issues and what are the root cause the problem so when you understand it more you can also find a better solution to help those people it's not just money but also how you can equip people to respond to these kind of changes in the future you know with the pandemic and everything things gonna change quickly and it's not just about material or funding anymore but also how people can equip to respond to these kind of situation yeah so looking back i think now i'm i'm looking back to what happened to my childhood and the people surrounding me back then it's quite hard i mean they struggle they they need to fight way to live every day it's quite hard for them to think long term it's quite hard for them to really say oh tomorrow i'm going to change my life it's really hard a lot of distraction people going to tell you hey play a game with me it's fun you know go out with me to the midnight it's fun do some like motorbike racing it's fun it's quite hard right complicated <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's so much stress in that situation that you just want to do things to release that stress mm-hmm. immediately. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a worldwide problem to to just want to shut down the other other stress and like find distractions. What I'm wondering is so if the the help doesn't come as a product or money, then it must be some type of education or guidance. So mm-hmm. how does it look like for you? I like I because I'm I'm having a hard time like picturing it in my head like are we educating the, the those people that are receiving the, the those benefits or are we guiding them or are we giving them a product or money what is it I, I don't know if I'm asking that question very well also <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it is um, because I work in this sector nonprofit. Mm-hmm. so yeah. when we look at the community we focus on like how can we level up this community to uh, a more like um, comprehensive development it's not just mm-hmm. money yeah. yes money is the first step but what yes. next right you you when you do a non-profit uh, project or a community project you need to think about short-term middle-term and long-term i see i see because if you don't see short-term it's quite hard for donna to see ah oh, this is really creative impact you know that's my job to also communicate that with the donors but short-term is you can be achieved like you know something quickly that you can see right away the kids go to school right they have money to eat they have money to go to school the, the middle-term is that okay after 12 months of implementing this program, what have changed with the kids' life? Whether they become more engaged in school, whether they they want to go to school more than before, for example. In the longer term, like, okay, how many percent of the kids graduate from this program, from your support, right? And whether they change their life because of that. And that not end at the graduation. You also have to even collaborate, if you cannot do it yourself, to find a job for them. Because that's the comprehensive change, right? So it's not just give you food to go to school, mm-hmm. but like how can you find the meat, the income for yourself or make the income for yourself that you mm-hmm. can control your life, like make um, uh, take control of your life, for example. So you have to think a lot of different factors and how you can help them along the way. It's not going to be perfect, yeah. This is very interesting. I, I like now. I, I can picture it very well. So you know, short, medium, and and uh, long term. That's that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's a whole comprehensive 
program, yeah. I guess, that every time you build for each different project. That's very interesting. That's why I also think that I'm very good at connecting because mm -hmm. I think for me, it's hard for us to do everything along, right? So because that's very complicated, a lot of factor involved. So if you focus on this area, you should find some other people who work in different area that complement your area uh, that mm -hmm. can help the community too, right? So when you work together, you can de develop a comprehensive plan for that uh, instead of you have to do it everything along. I think it's not possible because it's quite hard and the resources and everything. It's really, uh, we have limited resources. So that's why I, I, I passionate that I can connect uh, people who are making a social impact together so they can work together uh, and they can figure out a long-term plan together. What would you say is the most difficult part of this job? Uh, the most difficult Part of the job is balance between short-term and long-term uh, from, my, from my personal opinion and experience. Because I think, you know, for me, my job actually make it more straightforward is the fundraising, right? So you work with company and, and uh, individual who want to donate money or support the funding to our organization and nonprofit sector, right? So, of course, you know, like that's why I share with you about short-term, middle-term and long-term mm -hmm. impact because I'm still aware that a lot of donors still think about short-term. Like, you know, okay, I want to see it because I mean, I, I don't blame them because it makes sense that you want to invest something that you want to see the impact. But I have to balance that and, and trying to raise awareness about it with the donor. Like sometimes I have to explain to them why we're doing this and why long-term long -term is important. Because, you know, if, if you only focus on the short term, then you will miss the bigger picture. And it's really hard for you to see the impact in the future. So I have to explain that. I have to sometimes uh, decline some funding or say no to some funding if it's not really aligned with the value that we're trying to support the community, right? It's, it's not just uh, a giver and taker. It's more like working together and how mm -hmm. you can help the community where they don't need to rely on you in the future. That's yeah. very interesting. Very yes. interesting. Yeah. And do you find that a lot of the companies that want to be donors are genuinely interested in mm -hmm. helping the cause? I'm coming from this mindset of coming from America where I feel like a lot of big companies they just donate just to be able to say like, yeah, we're, a, <laughs> we're a socially responsible company. And it's, it's kind of more of like a, a public, public relations <laughs> yeah. and tax write-off thing. Yeah. And I'm yeah. wondering I if your question. Yeah. yeah. For me, a lot of people ask me this question too. I think in my opinion, I think I'm very practical about realistic about the situation, right? When I'm stepping in, it's not that you, you cannot, okay. You want to be, you want everything to be perfect you not like perfect but like ideal like you want to find a partner who really support you really trust you and everything but it will take a lot of effort and time and the reason why i said that is yes there's some people like that some people maybe they're not sure they don't know what to do right um and for me my approach normally i have to listen to their story listen to mm -hmm. what they're trying to do and what their challenges. One of the things that a lot of nonprofit, I'm not saying all, but many, we forgot. Company also have challenges, right? <laughs> <laughs> because they have to communicate back to the investor. 
mm-hmm. or stakeholder or their staff, what they're using the money for. So it's not that just, oh, you have money, give me money. It's not that. It's a partnership. So you have to understand, like you create a partnership, you have to really coming together, right? And then sharing yeah. those information and asking the question for those to, for your partner to share that information so you can address this together. Yeah, sometimes you already have an answer, but because you don't share, so you, don't, you cannot really address this. So for me, I look at them as, okay, here, this is, I always assume that they have a good intention. And I'm trying to ask all the questions that I need to ask to make sure, is it really genuine intention or they just want to do some branding, whatever, right? So actually that's really good because I'm, I love listening to story and I love asking questions because that gives you a lot of information, right? And then you can use your experience, your, your sometimes intuition, to make that kind of decision. Oh, mm-hmm. these people actually really care, but they don't know how to do it. So you have to step in and support them. And I think that's, that will help you build trust with a lot of donors because they feel that and they see that you treat them with respect and understanding. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to hear about how is your mindset around money because I know both Tuesi and I have struggled with <laughs> money mindset in terms of like as people who are coaches and trying to accept money from people and having to set your own rates it can get pretty uncomfortable if you're coming from this background of you know maybe not having enough money or having some sort of difficult relationship with money mm-hmm. uh in your past and so for you obviously you had a very difficult relationship with money in your past and now today you're like constantly dealing with money in your job so in your personal life how do you feel around money accepting money spending money <laughs> yeah Amazing question. question. (laughs) One time I listened to a podcast that she's a very uh, expert in philanthropy advisory. She said something very interesting and really agree with it. She said that a fundraising job or fundraiser job, um, it basically changed people's perception about or their relationship about money, uh, with the money. So the, the, the thing about money is that, you know, for me, in my opinion, uh, the reason why I like that that saying a lot because I think money is just a tool, right? So you can use that tool to do a lot of things. And you need the tool to do a lot of things. You still need money to support your life. You still need money to do good. You still need money to pay for your expense and support your family. But your relationship with money is very important, right? Whether you see it as a tool or you see it like a king that you always serve it, right? So like, um, I think for me, yes, I need money and especially uh, I'm going to do my own podcast and doing my own things. It's also important to have the money to support myself, but I won't see it as something like the end goal. It's more like the process, like the result when you are doing the right thing and you keep your value, you doing, you contribute the value and you bring the value to the table and I'm sure people will see that. I think many, many people appreciate good value. And when they see it, they will appreciate it. And they will pay you with respect. 
And I think that's that's the philosophy in my life. I think it's just a tool. Even with fundraising, you know, it's just a tool. I'm, I'm before I was so embarrassed, a little bit worried to ask people for money, right? But it, <laughs> and now I say, oh, I'm just asking for the community. I'm not asking for myself. Yeah. Why I have to worry, right? If they're doing good thing, good for everybody, good for themselves too. So that's why I feel, ah, oh, it's just a tool. You don't have to really shred yourself by that. Yeah, I really like that. It's just a tool. And I like the word respect that you use too, because when we are exchanging services, it is a form of respect to pay the person what they mm-hmm. deserve to be paid. Yeah. So I like that. Do you have anything to add? No, no, I, uh, I'm, I agree to all of this. I think also trust and trust and respect are the highest currency in my, for me. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. so true. I think trust can give you, uh, it's like a it makes things move so fast, right? But it mm-hmm. takes time for you to, to be that kind of trust with people. Yeah, and I, I think in our generation or our society, trust is is harder to get than money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> money right. comes easier than, than trust. And a lot of the deals, and, and, and I'm sure you, you see this on a, you know, on a regular basis, like some deals that, that sounds very logical always break down because of trust. You know, like mm. you can write all the contracts you want if people don't trust, nothing is yeah. going to get signed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. All right, so I want to shift gears here. We've mentioned your podcast a couple times, and you've mentioned how much you love hearing stories. So I'm really interested to hear about how your podcast, Dear Our Community, came about. Mm. Yeah, so I told you about, you know, uh, my job with Lynn, I, I had a chance. And before that, too, when I worked for nonprofit, an, an NGO from US, I had a chance to meet a lot of interesting people, right? So because they interested in social cause, social impact. So I listened to their story. I feel so fascinating. It, it also helped me to uh, connect with other people, like motivate me, motivated me a lot because before I didn't know but now I realized that you know um, when we keep the story for ourselves we think is this only us who have to struggle Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of challenges but actually when we share everybody have the same it's different kind of like the 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 detail but similar struggle about you know how you find something that you really want to do whether you're going to do something meaningful in your life it's the same in the in that term so that's why I, when i listen to those story i feel relatable to to what they share with me right i can connect this with my life i can reflect it with my own life lesson so that's why i i, I love learning the story i listen to them trying to understand it and that's why i was thinking okay this is amazing i'm very lucky to have this opportunity but i'm sure not many people was lucky like me to meet these kind of people and talking to these kind of people and uh, feel motivated so that's why i say okay maybe i should bring this story out to other people especially young people because back of my story about when i was growing up nobody guided me nobody really give me a sense of okay this is something you can do this is something that you can be in the future so I want to do that for other younger people like younger generation that to bring this story out so people can listen and feel motivated feel related feel connected and they can also figure out what they want to do in their life for me I think uh, 
that's why I focus on storytelling because sometimes you know we we also talk about we always talk about what we do, but rarely what why we do what we do. So I focus on storytelling because everybody have their own story, and and if you really ask the hard question about your life, why you do what you do, why you want to do this kind of job, it will help you to become more confident about what you want to do in the future. So that's why I want to do with uh, my podcast, The Community, and the name, I purposely chose it because it's like a letter that you want to share with your community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that I feel what happening in Vietnam and also other countries is that a lot of more young people who feel disconnected with their community, the reason is because a lot of distraction, right? You know, you have social media, you have a lot of different things that can make you, oh, I don't need to go outside and talk to people because I can talk on social media alone. But for the community, uh, it's like, okay, yes, I have opportunity to learn everything online with the social media, but I also want to see what's happening around my community and what I can do. So that's that's the goal of the community. I love it. It's so, nice. so similar to my story as well. Awesome. So who, who do you find is your typical audience mm. type of people are listening? Yeah, we did some uh, survey and also from the audience data. Right now, our content, the reason is because season one, I started it, it it's, uh, doesn't have any particular team it's more like okay anyone who have the, the story and want to make a concept, like positive change in the community I will interview them so right now mainly is around 18 to 28 years old and mm-hmm. actually the gender is quite balanced women and men so that's interesting yeah and I think most of them are, are from uh, the city uh, big city but in the future I want to reach out more to the rural area mm-hmm Mm-hmm. quite a young audience yes it's nice to hear because yeah you want to you want to reach the young people who maybe they like you said they feel no guidance they don't have any guidance and they need to hear these stories and have sort of their minds open to what possibilities there are out there yeah no so I think for me the reason why I chose the young audience because you know these days people talk about gen z right uh, and brain they also want to uh, pay more attention to what the consumer, young generation consumer talking about and thinking about. I want to raise awareness from the young generation about social impact in a way that can also make the company pay attention to social impact <laughs> because, you know, that customer, right? They customer and they, they pay attention to this kind of social impact. And I hope in the future, I can also work with some brand that really pay attention and also care about what young people thinking about social impact because that that is like an ecosystem. Gotcha. And is your podcast connected to your work or is it separate? The podcast is just your passion project on the side? Yeah, this is my personal project. And okay. uh, I, but in the future, I'm going to focus more on the community. Uh, I will leave Lynn in two months. Um, and then uh, focus. Did they know that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Okay. I did tell uh, Lynn. I mean, I for me, like I say, uh, I don't have to work with Lynn to support Lynn. I can also uh, not work at Lynn to support Lynn, but work with Lynn too, right? In the future, we can find different way to collaborate. I really love the mission at Lynn, and I think they're doing amazing thing in Vietnam. And I want to contribute in different way too. It's not just work at Lynn. Yeah. 
So are you leaving Lynn to just focus solely on, on the RR community? Uh, some uh, focus on the community. And then I also actually going to start another podcast in English. Oh, nice. <laughs> another co-host talking about Vietnam too, but in English. And then I will have some like side job, like consulting job, something like that to also balance this. It's more like a freelance and consultant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Focus on philanthropy and sustainability. Yeah. Very nice. Awesome. So what were some of the first steps you took in order to get your podcast started? And when did it start, by the way? So uh, funny thing, because I came up with the idea in July last year. And the first thing I did, is I talked to people. Because for me, I believe that idea is quite cheap, but how you execute it and be people behind it is very important. So I feel like people should not, should not really hide the idea too much. Nobody gonna steal it. I mean, even if they steal it, if it's a good idea, that's great. But mm-hmm. the most important thing is how you implement it. So the, that's the reason why I share with a lot of people. I share with rice content and media. I share with soul branding, two of a very great partner that I work with at Lynn. And they love it. They say, okay, let me help you. So rice content media, just basically say, yo, come to record our studio and I will edit it for you. That's amazing. (laughs) So Brandon helped me with brand identity, all the logo, all the application, guideline, everything. So I just share with them. And I think most of the time, if you share, people will join. And and it's not only you can do everything, right? So you you have a vision, you have a mission. And when you share, people will say, oh, I have that same vision and mission. I can join you. So Yeah. yeah, that's what I do. And it's only took me three months to start it. Like from the idea step, to launch is three months in October. Launch is uh, on my birthday. Oh, <laughs> that's so that's such a good lesson that like to not hold ideas inside yeah. and share them with other people. Because, yeah, you never know what will come out of that. I feel yeah. like I for a while was holding the idea to myself. It took me probably six months from the initial like moment that I had the idea to start the podcast to actually release an episode there was so much like mindset struggle I was going through of you know are people gonna think this is stupid is it you know the editing isn't perfect and all of those kinds of thoughts but I hearing you say that now I, I wish I had been more open at the time and just seeing who might have been interested to help me instead of trying to do it all by myself I agree I think yeah that's important I mean for me, idea is very cheap. You can think 10 ideas in one day, but mm-hmm. how you can execute it is so important. And then you need the right team. That's why you need to share. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. Mm. Um, so what are maybe one or two episodes that have really stood out to you and left an impression on you that you would like to recommend to our audience to listen to? So your audience listen uh, in English, right? So I, I have two episodes. Yeah. In we, yeah, we do have some Vietnamese listeners okay. as well. Yeah. Okay. To be honest, I mean, I love all the story. That's why yeah. I love story because all the like story. Trying to pick your favorite child. <laughs> it's quite hard for me. But I think, you know, like there's some story, if you depend on what kind of like topic you care about. So we have story talking about uh, education talking about gender equality like woman empowerment some story talking about youth development like uh, cancer awareness 
and art and culture, for example. So mm-hmm. it depends. But one of the story, a few story that that also make me reflect about my own life experience is the story about the founder of Easy Community. Her name is Chuk Dao. So she also growing up, nobody understood her. Like why she want to study science and <laughs> and uh, want to learn about different things. So she was born in Mekong Delta. Yeah, then then she get a lot of pressure, peer pressure, family pressure to to went study in a famous school in Saigon and making a lot of money. But then later on, she realized that's not her dream. That's not her goal. Her goal is to back to what her personal mission is about education and want to have people from rural area to access to quality education and attractive interactive education content. So that's why she found the platform, education platform, easy to do so. So different story, many, many amazing experience. The two episodes in English is I interviewed the U.S. Consul General and British Consul General. Mm-hmm. It's really cool because they, they their story really, really inspiring. Because listen to the story, like I said earlier, that you know you, you realize that even though we come from different background, but we share and struggle, and they have they have struggled too a lot to become who they are today. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that was something I learned as well. Moving abroad, I I assumed that all of us like we wouldn't be able to relate at all, but really we're all human and we've mm-hmm. all had uh, experiences of struggle. It might be yeah. different, different like levels of struggle, but ultimately we all can relate on some level. How do you think you've grown personally through doing the podcast? Mm. I definitely gain a lot from this journey you know I gain a lot of uh, great friendship who have me along the way like rice content and media and so branding I gain a lot of friendship from the character that I interview because before maybe I, I know them some work uh, from their work right but mm-hmm. since I, I have to understand their story to interview them I talk to them more and uh, I try to understand their story deeper so that's why I gain like more stronger relationship with the, the character that I, I interview. Another thing is, is, is helped me to become more like listening more to people, trying to figure out why they say what they say. I mean, sometimes we have a tendency to try and to drive our conversation to the way we want it. Mm-hmm. But actually, if we pay enough attention, what they say has a lot of meaning. And something they not say also have a lot of meaning. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out, okay, if it's, this is what they say, why? And, and, and it is something behind it that I can ask more questions. So it's actually allowed me to pay more attention and listen deeply instead of just our conversation, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find, have any, has it helped your work in any way, like with, Lynn community mm. definitely I think um, it's, it's like an ecosystem right so if I build awareness about social impact about caring about a community a lot of more people especially young people that that's a target audience 
uh, in the future, more young Vietnamese will pay attention to lean work because lean work is more like it's, uh, building a long-term foundation. So that's also help for people to be ready in the future when they want to do something meaningful. For me, I think that you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to work for an NGO to do social impact. You can also work for corporate or companies. But if you have that kind of understanding awareness from the beginning, then when you make decision, you will be aware of it and you can like actively make decision to, to, to contribute to the society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when you were younger, you didn't really have any guidance as you were growing up. Now, do you have mentors in your life or uh, who is your support system? Before I had mentor, but I actually didn't really talk much to him uh, in the past few years. But actually mentor actually really was really uh, helpful for me when I was struggling when I was a kid, when I was like, sorry, young, um, to, to, to understand what's happening around me. Uh, right now, uh, I have different kind of support system. Like I have my friendship with people that I can share, I can talk to, and also with the people that I'm working with uh, for social impact. I, the great thing about working in this kind of sector and also social impact sector is that the people surrounding you, they really, some, uh, most of them have really genuine attention also want to support other people, right? So when you share, they always listen. They always want to help you. And I think it's like an ecosystem. You, you support them and they support you back. So right now I, I feel very lucky because I'm surrounded by a lot of people like that through my job, with my work. Um, and I can easily, you know, ask somebody out and uh, share about something like social impact or anything I care about. So that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. That's great. So important. So I think it sounds like definitely your support systems and relationships are very healthy. It sounds like your relationship and mindset around money is very healthy. Uh, as I think about health and wellness, there's kind of a few categories or pillars of health and wellness. So one of them being relationships, finances, Mm -hmm. and then there's like physical health, mental health, spiritual health. So how do you feel like you're doing in these other areas of mental, physical, spiritual health? Do you have any sort of habits that you do daily or any personal goals that you're trying to hit in those areas currently? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know mental health become more and more important now these days. For me, I, f- I have a few things to, to, to help me overcome uh, stress and something I feel um, sad about. It, the first thing is that for exercise, I do running. Mm-hmm. I think running is good for me because I can exercise. Also listen to my podcast during my run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's good. I think exercise gives you a lot of energy. Another thing for me is about um, uh, spiritual or, or like mental is I, when I, I, I was so stressed or sometimes I work so hard, I didn't have enough time to rest. But I, when I do, I will either watch something very no-brainer. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, mindless. My mind of things. Uh, you don't have to be serious all the time in life. You have to take time to be 
to have fun, to to be fun. Uh, I love comedy. I love some. I love funny stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. It can really take my mind off different issues. Mm-hmm. And then the thing I I want to focus on is to uh, this is happening with a lot of people these days that so many things that we cannot control, right? So. I think to help myself to overcome this kind of stress, I want to, I will try to focus on something that I can control, something that I can add value, because that means you can know that, oh, you're in control, you want to do this, and this is something you can do, uh, because if you keep thinking about it, you cannot control, for example, tomorrow, what happened to you, you don't know, uh, if mm-hmm. you think it, about it too much, it can make you feel hesitated and worried and fearful, and it's uh it's give you a barrier to to actually live your life so i i want to really don't waste my time while i'm still here <laughs> yeah love it you, you've never experienced a burnout or anything like this because I oh i did i did i did i did a lot before when i was so worried about work but now for me i i think i take it more easy because before i was ah oh, it You know, because you also want to prove a lot of things like, okay, you can do this, you can do that. But it can give you a lot of burnouts when you work so hard without taking care of your well-being. Mm-hmm. So right now, I, I, I know that for, for sure, if you die, the world still continue. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing really changed, but something changed, but not all of it. So for me trying to enjoy it's like a journey right you you enjoy while you're doing stuff if you're tired just rest also you know that's why the money is very important when you have enough funding or financial support yourself then you can freely take a break sometime but mm-hmm. if you don't have that kind of support it's quite hard for me it's quite hard because right now i don't have that kind of safety net yet because i need to take care of my parents so that's why I, I try to build something. I, I, I think I still have energy and aid to, <laughs> to focus now. But in next five years, I want to be more freedom to do a lot of different things. And I don't have to worry about oh, how much money I'm going to spend next month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. interesting. Um, so my next question was going to be about where you see your future going. I think we touched on it a little that you're planning yeah. to finish up with Lynn in two months and focus more on an English speaking podcast. Uh, are you able to share at all, like a little hint of what the English speaking podcast would be about? Yeah, sure. I mean, this podcast, I, I came up with the idea with one of my friends is a journalist, Vietnamese too. We were thinking about, you know, we were talking and discussing a lot about what the international people normally feature Vietnam, you know. So we talk about, oh, they only think mostly about Vietnam War and mm-hmm. war-torn country. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that affects us a lot, this, a lot every day. But uh, the new generation may have different kind of concern, different kind of worry, different kind of dream, hope, for example. And maybe something just, you know, they just want to do something new. So that's why we want to create a podcast where we can feature the local perspective that give us like a up-to-date and on the ground to other people from all over the world to understand better about Vietnam. It's not just the war. It's not just poverty. It's not just economic growth. It's more than that, right? So that's why we started this podcast together. Uh, also focus on storytelling. 
um but so like the the uh the people that you will, you will interview are going to be vietnamese local that can speak english is that yes. right okay yes, uh, that's our target target speaker mm -hmm. Uh, because we really want to listen to the local perspective. But of course, mm -hmm. if we need an uh, expert, like foreign expert, we also can interview, but we want to li listen to the uh, the Vietnamese people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so happy you're doing that because mm -hmm. that's like another part of our mission as well, because coming from America, when I told people I was moving to Vietnam, people thought it was crazy. And they're like, I know, what? Right? like you're going to live in a rice field. And you know, like, <laughs> what, isn't there a war going on there? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I mean, so, that, that, that's, I just want to change that kind of perspective a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know? me there too. Is, there is so many dimensions to it. Like for me as yeah. a Vicky, you know, the Vicky generation also, some people don't understand why, you know, some of us, come back to Vietnam and decide to live mm -hmm. in Vietnam. So there is so many dimensions and to have that perspective as Vietnamese local for us, every time we had Vietnamese local coming to our podcast, it was such a delight. It was such an insight into something new, really. So I, I love the concept and I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, we're excited to introduce to everyone. But in the future, I want to, I mean, the more I do podcasts, I mean, you can feel that too, right? Because you are mm -hmm. so podcasters, the more I like it because I think, it's an opportunity for me to talk to different kind of people, interesting people, mm -hmm. and yeah. also hopefully can make a living out of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's good. yes. I wanted to say that when you were talking about the reason why you started the podcast with the interview, I think every time we do a podcast, for me, I see it as a as an exercise in empathy and, comp and compassion. Where like, you know, yes. it's it's yeah. so beautiful to be able to you know, without the, the video or anything like this, just to, to catch someone's experience through the voice and, and to be able to have that really genuine discussion is beautiful for me. So yeah, absolutely. I agree with you nice. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Do you think you'll do video for the English podcast or keep it audio? We want to focus on audio first, but we're going to have, let's say, uh, some sort of conversion to, to YouTube video, but not focus mainly in video. Okay. And we also like to ask guests if there's any, if you could like send a message out to the universe asking for help in some way, it might be like if you're looking for certain type of guests for your show or certain opportunities for your future consulting, or, you know, maybe you need another brand designer for your podcast or whatever <laughs> we we have an audience so uh, yeah. you can you can kind of share like if there's any sort of help that you're looking for um, mm -hmm. maybe someone listening would maybe they would help or they know someone who could help thank you so much for this opportunity let me talk to the universe now yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think a few things first for my podcast I hope that in the future I can work with some sort of like, uh, because of course, if you want to continue with the podcast and focus on a podcast, which we see a lot of potential, especially for Vietnamese one, English, yes, but also Vietnamese one, because we have a lot of young Vietnamese want to consume this kind of content. I hope in the future, I can find some sort of like good corporate partner that I can work with to, to actually target these audience and, and get in the, the support for, for funding to continue this. The second thing for the consulting job is, it's not official yet, but in the future, I want to, you know, of course, work with people like company or nonprofit that interested in like, you know, working in like development, sustainability and philanthropy. 
I can also work with them because with my network in the sector, with corporate and also with nonprofit and my experience and insight, I can help them to maybe do it better, like channel the funding or improve their program to make it better for the community, also for their organization. So maybe something like that. If you listening and you're interested in philanthropy, uh, NGO, and also sustainability as a corporate side, also uh, you can talk to me. I am happy to to talk more about that. Yes. Very nice. The universe has received your message. <laughs> it's it's working you, on it. Things are being put in motion right now. <laughs> Thank you, universe. <laughs> awesome. So if people do want to get into contact with you, how can they get in touch with you and, and how can they find your podcast? So I'm using LinkedIn and also Facebook a lot. My LinkedIn name is doing bracket Kelly Vaughn and my Facebook account is Kelly Vaughn. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. Also for podcasts, I have it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. The name is Dear Our Community. Dear Our Community, like writing a letter. Yeah. And we also have a website, uh, dearourcommunity.com. So you can also go there and check it out and listen to some episodes. Perfect. Mm-hmm. We will put all the links in the show notes. And our final question, unless Tuasi has anything else, mm-hmm. uh, is how would you describe Saigon in three words? Hmm. Last time we were asked me three words about myself, now three words about Saigon. <laughs> I think uh, three words would be tolerant. It's very important. I think living in Saigon, living with different people in my, my growing up uh, environment, I feel I, I, I really sh- love the tolerance in the mm. blood of a lot of people here. You know, we, we want to support each other. We want to live together and we want, we love to do something for each other. So tolerance is good. In other words, it's very open and like free, you know. So they, in Saigon, basically they don't care about where you come from most of the time it's not like it's, it's also it's only care about you okay what you do what you want to do and what you look into the future so that's I really like about Saigon in that way because you know you can freely express yourself and like in terms of like what you want to do and, and you don't worry much about people will judge you about that so I love about that's about Saigon and the third one, I think is a resilient. I think Saigon has been through a lot, especially with the COVID right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, because of the people here, the way they look at each other, they think about each other. I think they will overcome this together. Very nice. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for being on the show. I think that's all the questions we have for you today. I'm sure our listeners will get so many insights out of your story and everything you said. And we're all really looking forward to this English podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation I had. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity. Honestly, I hope that uh, we can catch up in person when the COVID is over. Oh my my God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Yes. I will hopefully see you soon. Yes, Yes. Thank you again. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Saigon. If you liked this episode, 
become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.